Yo, you're listening to the Two Not So Rad Kids, a weekly podcast about two kids who live on the same block and all the shit that they get into on daily basis. We will discuss our struggles as kids and what it is. What it's like dealing with our parents' shit in a date today's society. We talk about what junk we did on our bikes, at how much they scared our moms. We'll get into April Fools and Fortnite and Roblox, baby. We do all of this more like smoking weeds in the garage. I'm your host Nico, and this is Xander. And I'm Lachlan, and this is episode 12 of Two Not-So-Wad Kids. This week's sponsor is Children's Liberation. <laughs> Fight for your freedom! All right. <laughs> what the hell was that? I don't know, Billy. I what don't the, know. What's going on here? This I, show's being taken over by children. I, I thought that maybe um, I could get some extra time in working, but no, I guess I got to the garage a little too late today. God damn. Got kids. taken over by kids. Oh, it's the inhale duction. Yeah. Here we are, baby. What are you smoking, Billy? I am smoking papaya punch from Applegate Farms. It's good. It's nice. I'm going to take a hit right now, baby. Dude, that's rad. Did I tell you that I already broke my bong? Oh, no. Yeah. Well, this is the first time I ever had a glass on glass bong. So it's like the glass down stem. And I think I pushed it in too hard and put like. Just a tiny little stress crack in it. It still hits totally fine. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, I was really bummed. Hey, wait a second. What? Who did the intro? Oh, wasn't that us? Oh, I don't know. That's weird, man. Like, the show just kind of started, and then, like, I was thinking. Well, I, you know, I felt like I've had a cold, and so my voice has been yeah. a little different. But... Mine, too. It sounded like a little, I don't like my balls haven't dropped yet or Do something. Do you know what today it's... is? What's today? My sister's birthday. Oh, Happy really? birthday, sister. Oh, you know what else it is? What? April Fool's. Oh. oh. I, wah, pull, wah. I pulled a great April Fool's on uh, the old Daily DVR Facebook page last night, and I announced that we were covering iCarly as our new podcast. You don't even know what iCarly is. Right you? over my head. <laughs> it's an old Nickelodeon show with Miranda Cosgrove. It was like a... Nickelodeon kids show. Why did you just say "Hey, dude"? Oh, hey, dude. I don't remember any of those dudes. You don't remember "Hey, dude"? No. Uh, well, you. Yeah. I guess you're a little bit older. I am older. You're already smoking cigarettes in the boys' room. Yeah, I remember. Um, you can't do that on television. Oh, that was a good one. Yep, that is what where about it all Double Dare? started. Double Dare, of course. Double Dare, definitely. What would you do? I don't remember. What would you do? What? 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 What would you do? I don't remember that. I don't remember That's that weird. That was a jam. Um, yeah, man. Good thing that we're high and talking about Nickelodeon. I know. We've Nickelodeon a- would have been so much better if we were high back then, too. Oh. That and, might have been And scary. speaking of which, we didn't cover that with our guest because we're doing everything in reverse today. Yeah. But we have a fantastic guest today. You know what? I, gotta, I should move my chair. You talk for a second. I'm going to move my chair. Do you know why Billy is moving his chair? It's so that he could make eye contact with me yeah. yet once again. So I can stare. Still going eyes. back to the beginning of the first episode when he's like, uh, we're not going to make eye contact. And uh, then ever since, go. he's held strong eye contact. Uh, speaking of deeply into your eyes, 
You wanted to say thank you to your friend, J.D. Yes, my dear, dear friend. Safe to say, my best friend. Yes, I said it. Adam Yo, I know you're listening as you drive back to Boise. Keep the eyes on the road and think sweet things of me. All right, baby. And now, as our kids run around on bicycles in the background... Lachlan, Jesus oh Christ! God, this kid's crazy. I think we need to go do some right. parenting. Let's see. Let's listen to this interview, and Alex will tell us how to be better parents. Yeah, man, obviously got a lot to learn. I know. Enjoy, everybody. Thanks. All right. Well, JD has not arrived yet for the interview portion, even though you have heard him talking to me in the intro of the show. That is editing magic, ladies and gentlemen. But. I do have a guest that I'm going to talk to, and when JD gets here, he'll just join right in because he's good like that. This week's guest is an old friend of mine. Specifically, we met 28 years ago, if you can believe that, buddy, in 1993 on Livingston campus at Rutgers University. We also lived together for about two years. We did a ton of drugs. We had a ton of fun, but now we're both parents, and of course, nothing has changed. It's with great pleasure that we welcome to the show Mr. Alex Coast. Hello, Alex. Hi, Axel. Hi, it's buddy. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it is. A pleasure. <laughs> We've been talking a little bit before, filling each other in on our lives. And I just want to say that um, the reason why Alex is here, and JD and I will probably end up talking a little bit about it in the intro, um, Alex is, I'm going to read your bio. He is a father and children's rights advocate. He's the editor in chief. Is this bio still up to date? Yeah. Of tipping points and founder of voice of the children, promoting and facilitating art and activism for young people. He is also secretary and treasurer of friends of the modern school, supporting the history of modern schools and advocating for new forms of anarchistic education. And he works at the homeschooling co-op Brooklyn Apple Academy. He previously founded the Teddy McArdle Free School, which I almost worked at, a democratic free school in New Jersey. And more recently, he co-founded Playground NYC, a junkyard playground for children on Governor's Island in New York City. And we are here to talk about all those types of things, self-directed play among kids I want to get into a little bit of um, Summerhill with you because I think that's something that we both found out about early on and maybe got us interested in that. And this is something that JD and I have been talking about forever on the podcast, which is listening to your kids and kind of seeing the world through their eyes, being open to them. So, Alex, thank you for being here, and this is just, I appreciate you giving us the time, buddy. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me on. It's a, a true honor, and certainly wonderful to see you. Yeah. And yes, you are as handsome as ever. <laughs> so are you, buddy. We are a handsome <laughs> pair. We always were. Um, this is great. So, the thing I wanted to start talking about, we talked a little bit before uh, we started the show, just about how both of us were trying to find a new term for what we are and which is why don't you kind of get into a little bit through your work and how the world sees a man who is interested in homemaking children you know 
how does the world see that? And how did you kind of get into all this wonderful stuff that you're doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's when I when I write a bio, I, I in, very intentionally the first thing that I put down is that I'm a father, um, and that's because I think about that first. Um, I, I've sometimes thought prior to that from like I've done enough years of therapy that I should think about myself first. Uh, but I don't know. Saying like I'm a human and a father sounds sort of moronic so i don't put that into the bio but um uh yeah i've i've as you said and i i've always wanted to be a father um and i really enjoy my kids um and i guess and then i really talk about myself as a, as a, a youth rights advocate as somebody who advocates for for the human and civil rights of children um and if you think about it throughout at least settler colonial history, the group of people who actually have been oppressed for the longest time and the largest group of people are children. Uh, children have almost no rights. They, they rarely ever are able legally to have possessions, voting power, um, uh, uh, autonomy over their own physical bodies uh, whether, you know, the, the right to go to the bathroom when they want the right to cut their hair, how they want, um, the right to eat when they want or what they want to eat, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and so I, I've been thinking about this ever since I was a kid, uh, basically because I, at a young age identified that that didn't feel right to me. I, I, I was, I was a fighter against uh, the authority, um, and, and it, when I was, I don't know, about 15 or 16 years old, my father gave me a copy of the book. I went to public school in New Jersey and my father gave me a copy of the book, Summerhill, A Radical Approach to Child Rearing yep. by uh, Alexander Sutherland Neal, N-E-I-L-L. And um, I will put a link in the show notes. And I was the same age when my brother gave me that book because oh, he I didn't was in that. college. He was studying that at Kutztown University, and he gave me the same book when I was about a sophomore or a junior in high school. And it really uh, uh, was beautiful and screwed up the rest of high school for me. Uh, <laughs> I was like, fuck you. I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, you know, um, and I, I, got, I was so influenced by it that when I think I was about a senior in high school, I, this is pre-internet days, uh, I wrote a letter to Summerhill to find out if they still existed because the, the book was from the 1960s um, and got a really nice letter back, which I still, I still have a copy. I, I still have that uh, letter somewhere uh, that said, yeah, we're here and doing well. They, in fact, uh, they opened in 1921, exactly a hundred years ago. Wow. Uh, his, his uh, daughter yeah, uh, runs the school yep. and his, his grandkids are people I now have met and know and, done some work with um, and uh, that really set off for me Summerhill is a place where children are respected it's a school it's it's a boarding school in England Um, and the school is run democratically where the children have an equal say Uh, and since there are the majority of the people 
at the school are children. The majority of the decisions are made by children. Um, and uh, they are able to take the classes they're interested in taking and um, do the things that they're interested in doing. Uh, and there's no grading testing and all of that. That's awesome. Uh, oh, hey, guess, guess who arrived? <laughs> Speaking of no grading and testing, JD has walked in live. How you doing, pal? I'm all right. All right. You know what? Let's take a short break while he does this because this is a perfect time. We can launch right into Summerhill. All right, we're back. JD arrived, and this is an awesome timing because Alex was just about to talk to us about what Summerhill is, which was both of our entry into this uh, democratic uh, education, anarchist education. I like that. So why don't you continue there, Alex? Yeah, sure. So uh, Summerhill's been around 100 years. It's in England. It's a boarding school. Uh, it's democratically run. Uh, it has um, school meetings uh, that are run by... Uh, I've been to Summerhill physically once. Uh, I was invited there uh, for a week. And it tr- I, was, I was really nervous because it's, it's been for, I don't know, almost almost. 30 it has been 30 years oh my goodness uh for 30 years it's been uh something really important to me and then of course you know i was nervous i was going to be disappointed when i got there Mm, and it's one of the few times in my life where i thought oh no i'm not disappointed if anything it's even better and it really is it's a beautiful beautiful place it just really respects children's autonomy uh everybody there it's just it's just a really gorgeous place um and uh i got to sit through a school meeting uh which is the entire uh the entire school comes together and they uh discuss any issues uh you know say for example uh sort of the classic example that's always given is one person wants to take a nap and someone else wants to practice their trumpet or something like that and uh you know figuring out when is quiet time or where is the quiet room or whatever and negotiating those types of things. Um, and I got to watch, I think it was a 15 year old run a meeting that I swear to you that 15 year old should be like running the United Nations, Wow! like watching these kids being able to use there. They use like a, a system sort of like of Robert's rules of order with like raising hands and like asking direct questions to people. Um, and then they also, in that same meeting, the way Summerhill does it is that they also run if there's any um, violations of rules. Uh, so the conflict resolution happens at the same school meeting. Uh, a lot of other self-directed schools uh, separate the two. Um, they'll have one where they, so, you know, sort of like the legislative and the judicial are separate. Uh, but at Summerhill, they happen together. Um and I remember when I was there, because I was there for uh, International Schools Week. Um, so there were some there were some kids from other schools, and uh, some of the some of the kids at Summerhill apparently got in a a, a a conflict with some of the kids from a school in Germany. Um, and they uh, and all, all the all the people, including myself, who were staying at the school uh, visitors, we were camping in, in tents on on the property. They have acres of land with woods. It's beautiful. And the Summerhill kids apparently took uh, um, laundry detergent and dumped it in the tent of the German kids, like to be like, ha ha. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and some conflict arose and I got to witness a 15 year old negotiate how to deal with this. And the resolution uh, uh, of it was that the, the German, oh, cause the German kids then did something back to the Summerhill kids. I, I don't remember exactly the details, <clears throat> but um, the resolution was the German kids and the Summerhill kids who were involved had to bake a cake together and eat it together, which Sounds, but if you think about it, they had to cooperatively work on something together, but that also then wasn't like some breaking rocks in the backyard. This was, it was a sweet moment, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but so reinforcing cooperative uh, uh, working together. And, and so this was something that was decided by the kids. And so it, it works like that. I remember thinking here, it's supposed to be the freest school in the, in the world. And uh, when I went there, they gave me the the like the visitors rule book that was like fifty pages long. <laughs> being like, oh my god, and realizing that if you want to have a non hierarchical community where everybody has an equal say, takes significantly more rules. Yeah, right. right. It's so easy to say I'm the authority. Everyone, shut up and listen to me you don't need many rules. The only rule you need is shut up and listen to me Uh, and whatever I tell you, you do. But if you're trying to negotiate where everybody gets an equal say, uh, it really takes a a significant amount more structure. And so uh, oftentimes I meet people uh, when I, when I explain this type of education to people, um, they'll say, Oh no, my child, my child couldn't do that. They need structure. And I say, no, this actually has more structure. What you're telling me is your child needs to be told what to do. Right. And people don't like to hear that. Alex, I love (laughs) that, bro. Because you know what? You tap into something that I think is an issue for all parents, which is that feeling you get when you allow your child freedom, but you have to go over every little detail and your mind starts telling you, the easier thing to do is just tell this fucking kid what to do. Like, I don't want to sit here and talk about every goddamn detail. Just do your homework and go outside and play for half an hour. And I think that that's something that I've had to struggle with. And I think with my wife, maybe she'll be listening to this. Sometimes we have, because I'm much more artistic and free and I want to do these things. Like I'm saying, I'm a Summerhill guy. My brother did the same thing as you, Alex. He wrote a letter and he got in contact with his daughter. I knew you were going to say his daughter. And Mm -hmm. I wish I could bring my brother on now and he could fill in the details. But he was obsessed with this. And and so was I. I love the book. And I went to a Catholic school, St. Joe's in Metuchen, which though, and it's so awesome that you got to the rules thing because I was going to say, I tell people I went to a Catholic school run by Brothers of the Sacred Heart, like an offshoot of like Jesuits. And they're like, oh, my God, that must have been like, did they slap your hand and all this? <laughs> I said, no, I had more freedom there than I did in college. Huh. I It was totally self-deterministic. If I went to the class, I learned. If I didn't, I didn't. My teachers did not yell at anyone. They did not reprimand. There was not detention. Because guess what? If you'd have got a bad grade, 
you didn't learn and you didn't go to college. And they would just literally say to you in the class, guess your parents wasted this month's tuition and they'd move on to the next person. And you had to really push within yourself. And it it was scary when I first got there because I had so many choices. I wanted to be told what to do. But I learned the freedom is the scariest thing. And I, and I, you know, I went uh, that I think that's such a great idea because when I was teaching editing and filmmaking and just art, that's one of the hardest things to teach people is, um, the kind of, uh, in film school, often they will say to you, we are going to create as many obstructions as possible so you can be free. And you say, what are you talking about? Yeah, There's a yeah. great film called The Five Obstructions by Lars von Trier, one of my all-time favorite documentaries. And it's only within this structure that he found freedom because it gave him the comfort, the security, right, to know his boundaries and to push those boundaries. Mm -hmm. If you don't know them, you can't push them. So I just think that's a that's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, it's like Ooh. art school being told, okay, you can do whatever you want for this project and everyone being like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> whatever I want. And that was, it's always such an overwhelming and daunting task because we're so used to being like, oh, go take a picture of a right angle. But or a natural state that a lot of kids exist in and they, they yearn for that being told what to do yeah. i think after they've been told what to do for so long totally you just get used to it yeah that's that's another uh big part of it is uh sometimes we'll we'll yeah or t take take the college age kid who who's been told for 12 years of school what to do and every moment of their life has been determined by some adult and then all of a sudden you let them free uh, it, it, it's oftentimes, you know, the, the, if, if there's one thing that it's self-directed education is equated to, it's Lord of the Flies over and over again. Oh, that sounds like Lord of the Flies. Kids are going to kill themselves or kill each other or whatever. Um, and uh, there, there's a, a famous uh, uh, or famous within self-directed education reaction. Uh, somebody said, well, the, the kids that who in the fictional story, Lord of the Flies, were all conventional school kids and so of course they acted that way they didn't know they didn't know how to self-manage their time yeah. <laughs> and and if you give if you give somebody freedom after they've been oppressed of course they're going to abuse that that's that's what we call freshman year of college you know mm -hmm. everyone binge drinking and acting like an idiot not going to class because it's the first time in your life you're getting a chance to do that of course you're going to do that you know how many times i remember uh, a, a kid who lived down the street from me, whose parents didn't let him play with toy guns. And he would pick up a stick and be like, bang, 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 and just shoot things. And he was obsessed with guns. He ended up going to jail. Yep. That was, <laughs> that, that, I realized that was one of my first parenting mistakes was, um, always didn't want the kids growing up thinking toys or guns were toys. And so I didn't let them have them. And not until the beginning of COVID really did guns come. Yeah, into our we home. went through that together, bro. Yeah. And so we I, both said that, that we were kind of being a bit silly. About, and yeah, because then I realized what happens if they an do object come of fascination, right? Or what happens if they do come across a gun and now yeah. they do not know 
that when you push this thing, this thing comes out of it. You know what I mean? Like even the basics, they don't necessarily understand that. So there's a better chance of them picking up a gun and turning it on themselves or someone else and firing it. Then there is if he picks up that toy and knows that, oh, when I shoot this thing and I hit my brother in the eye, I get in a shitload of trouble, you know, and letting him have those mistakes and learn that way. It, it makes it, it, it's, it's a, it's a touchy subject, um, yeah. but ultimately uh, it, it fetishizes it. It, it. it makes it, it makes it whenever you make something, then people obsess over it. Yeah. And so I'm not necessarily saying it's funny because I, when I was a little kid, I, my brothers and I used to run around and shoot each other with BB guns, uh, how we all still have both eyes. I don't know. But, um, it wasn't but a red rider. No, no, it yeah, wasn't it a red rider. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, now as an adult, as a person who works with young people, I don't call myself a teacher anymore. Um, I've stopped using that term years ago. But as a person who works with young people in a in a in an aspect that's similar to a teacher, seeing a young person take out a toy gun and point it at me, it ha- you know, having grown up in the 1970s, way before school shootings were a national or international thing, uh, it, it has changed for me, um, and I definitely get a pit in my stomach, um, and I'm not saying that I. I think that example, we, I don't think that we should be, uh, necessarily celebrating it either, but by restricting it from children completely, we're taking an adult's definition of what a gun is and placing it on kids. Uh, we see it as a murder weapon. Kids see it as a game. And I think that at an appropriate age and an appropriate time when they start asking, you need to start talking to them about, hey, you know, these things actually kill people. And I've talked to my kids about what school shootings are and all of that. But at the same time, to just restrict it completely because of that isn't the answer because they're only going to obsess over it more. Yeah. Totally. You can't glorify it and you can't restrict it. Yeah. You just have to let it be what it is. Well, I think it's just like anything. Everything in the light of day is better to talk about things, be open about them. I mean though we we have to know there are certain boundaries of understanding i think you know i'm like for instance i don't know that you necessarily have to pull out pictures of like gunshot wounds and show them to your children but uh you know you do want to talk about that i mean i have said that to my son um i said okay when we when because we were doing the same thing. Don't play with guns. And we were in North Carolina. A lot of people have guns. I mean, it's different, Alex. Where we grew up in Jersey and New York have the most restrictive gun laws in the country. So I did not grow up with a lot of people with, with like a real gun. I remember once my cousin showed me a gun that he had got a permit for. And he was in his 20s, you know. But it was like a big deal. He was like, now don't touch this. And, you know, it had a lock and everything. Um, so I think that is true when you, I like that word you use that it becomes like a fetish object, you know, um, it does. Yeah. that's really interesting. Now I, I would like to cue on something. We were talking about AS Neil and Summerhill and mm-hmm. free school and self-determined education. Mm-hmm. One question that I get from people, and I'm sure you get this a lot, Alex is, well, 
what are these kids going to grow up not knowing how to count? What happens if they don't want to know math? Then they don't know how to count two plus two or they don't. What happens if they don't like reading? Then they just don't have to ever learn how to read. You know, how do you answer questions like that? Yeah, I mean, I've my my own children have never taken a test, never had homework, never had a class they ever had to take and so on and so forth. My oldest is uh, just about to turn 15. Uh, if if you give children the space and time and the care and you have the privilege, and I'm specifically using the word privilege, to nurture them and have the resources available, they will comfortably go and learn the tools of their society that, and they will, they will, children are curious. Humans are curious. We, we want to learn things. If you think about whenever you have free time and the hobbies that you may have, or the things that you challenge yourself with, we learn the, we're, we're that way from birth. You know, we are that way learning how to walk and how to talk but then something strange happens where all of a sudden we say, oh, no, now you're at risk of not learning something. So we have to force it down your throat. And, and, and I've witnessed it personally with my own children who my, my, uh, my 12-year-old takes marine biology classes. He's learning three different instruments. He's t- learning German. He's learning computer programming. His schedules, I was trying to like find another class for him. I'm looking at his calendar and I was like, it's all filled with all, and it's all things. This isn't like me being like, hey, you need the extracurricular activity to get into the good college. In fact, I'm the one who's like, don't go to college, travel the world, have fun. (laughs) You know, we had uh, a lot of fun at Rutgers, man. It's true. We did have a lot of fun. Yeah, but think about how much fun you would have had in Thailand or or France or. Uh, No, my point is. Go have that fun, yeah. and then and then when you want to when, when you want to learn those other things, yeah. You know, there's so much of college that I could have just not paid the tuition, had the fun, yeah. and then gone and actually learned the thing I wanted to learn. If I um, would have, if I would have like gone to college proper right out of high school, I would have gone to college, graduated, and still have not been ready to go to school because I didn't really, I wasn't ready to go to school until yeah. I was 24. Yeah. I yeah. needed 18 to 24 to just like go wild out. And really it probably saved me because eventually I got to a point where I was like, whoa, I got to chill out or I'm going to get into trouble. And then realizing now's the time for like, now I'm ready to learn. Like I was, I always wanted to be a photographer, but I never wanted to put in the time to school. And then I got to 24 and I was like, oh, now I'm ready to be competitive in this photo class. I'm ready to go and like, sit with the best and learn from the best and like go and do it. But shit, if I did that at 18, I would have had $75,000 in debt and I would have, I would have pissed it all away and not even really paid attention to what was in front of me. You know? Yeah. I think that that more describes uh, my, my college. But, uh, but for, for self-directed <laughs> kids, for self-directed I'm almost kids. almost done paying my loans, Alex. <laughs> Are you? Rutgers. I'm almost done. By the, this is what's going to happen. Biden's going to forgive all the loans 
yeah. and then they're going to send me, you're done. And I'm going to yeah. be like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> I should have, def- I should have ignored, I, I, I ignored it for like 10 years. And then my wife was like, you know, you have college loans. I was like, don't remind me. Yeah. I She's like, you know, we thing. have to buy a house. And she got me together and we figured it all out. But yeah, that's a great, that trust you talk about, Alex is so scary for so many parents. Mm-hmm. And we do live in a world where even though we have seen this kind of like say a in one sense among maybe perhaps people that we know and love or we try to love everyone a progressive renaissance in the past you know during this trump era hopefully it continues but there's a great amount of fear that um you know, left unchecked, children will just sit and play a video game or look at a phone for the rest of their lives and will not do anything, which is a much different challenge than, say, maybe what Summerhill had or this this device, this phone and this internet and this connected world seems to run against the outside playground lifestyle of running around doing things that we did when we were kids or like you when you describe Summerhill, one of the first things you say is a great field where people had tents this is the world being in touch with nature and things around us how do you see that yes uh, uh the, the topic of screens is uh, a challenging one and within the realm of self-directed education um is one where there there are very different views. Um, my own personal view is that it shouldn't be restricted. Uh, so um, my my two older kids, uh, uh, my youngest is three, uh, and is uh, we're in a, in a different situation. So I'll just talk about my two older kids for a moment. Um, I let them play all the video games they wanted, and there were years of their life that they played video games. Um, but, uh, they interestingly enough, love nature, love going outside. Um, I were, I do a three day a week outdoor only program. And to be clear, I was doing that pre COVID days. Uh, I was doing it for about three years before, or sorry, two years before COVID. And then this, this past year of the pandemic, um, just working outside with kids, uh, no screens, no, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and my kids absolutely love it. But, um, so James, my, my, he's just about turned 15. Um, he was the one who really, I, the, the fear is definitely still there. I, there's especially cause it's unconventional. No one else is doing it. I don't have many other people I can turn to, to look at as a model. It's not the way I was raised. Uh, and so it's scary all the time. I'm always like, oh, my God, am I screwing up my kids? And when I step back and look at them, I'm, I look and I'm like, my kids are really nice, intelligent, capable human beings. Like, And and so James would start obsessing on like first person shooter video games. And I was like, oh, my God, what a, you know, like this is not what I was hoping he was going to do. You know what he does now? He he's taught himself, and he's he's now started asking to take classes in video editing and documentary filmmaking. He now makes videos for YouTubers, like people who have thousands of followers pay him money. My fourteen year old child pay him money to edit their videos, That's and awesome. he's just spent so much time doing that. He learned 
from playing Minecraft, he learned how to read. He learned like algebraic expressions. He learned like loops and conditionals and variables um, and all, all sorts of like computer programming stuff. Uh, the amount of things that he did learn from it is remarkable. And because there's no fetishizing of it, there was no like, you have to get off at this time. We check in with each other. I'll, I'll come into his room. I'm sitting at my kids' desks at the moment. And I'll come in and, and be like, you know, you've been on your computer all day long. Maybe we should like go outside. And sometimes we'll be like, no, I'm busy. I'm in the middle of doing something. Go away, dad. Most of the time they're like, yeah, you know what? We should like go for a bike ride. Like I'm like, I'm feeling tense from being on the computer. Let's, let's do it or whatever, you know? Um, and if you just treat them decently and just have an honest conversation and say, look, I trust you and I love you. And ultimately this is your decision. I'm leaving it to you. But as a person who's older than you and who's observing, I think maybe you should try this thing. Then all of a sudden they stop and listen. The group of kids, I work with a dozen kids right now, a program that I call uh, the Flying Squad. Um, and the amount of the kids, like I have a kid who, uh, for example, found her dad's old cell phone in a drawer somewhere, pulled it out and brought it to Flying Squad and like will sit on the free public Wi-Fi and like play with it. And now normally outdoors, I ask them to put away devices because this is supposed to be a time. This is a kid who's restricted from doing it. She's sitting there telling me that she basically stole a phone from her dad and it, and feels that she can trust me enough to tell me that. And then I help her find like a wi Wi-Fi hotspot and allow her when we're not using screens to use screens. Cause what she needs right now is to have that independence to be able to do that thing. And that is a very radically different way of looking at working with a young person. But what that kid needs is that right now. She needs to be able to make that independent decision and to have that experience and see the same thing I have. I've worked with kids whose parents only let them eat organic whatever. And they've never had a They've never like had a candy bar in their life. That kid needs a candy bar. It's not going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> I See, hate to say I think that's what's so cool, Alex, is I think a lot of people, even when we started this podcast, probably expected for you to say, like, they should be eating all organic and they should only do this. Do you, you see what I mean? Because I think yeah. that I only have America to speak of. It's where we live. But there is this kind of binary understanding of the way things are. And if you are some sort of progressive, free-thinking parent, well, you must ha be a vegetarian that only does this. You are not allowed to ever even look at like reality TV or a phone or anything of this nature. And I think that your perspective, which really comes down to trust, right? Admitting fear and letting it, seeing that it's there, facing it but not letting it make the decision for you is like a is kind of at the root of these things and so many of the things we do as parents is our love is communicated through protection right and through um through fear and control yeah 
And these are the things that you're saying, look at the other side of it. I, I want to I want to uh, uh, say I, I am I am a vegan and I haven't owned a, a television in 10 years or a Netflix. Account. I know these <laughs> things about. <laughs> so in many ways, I do fit that progressive, crunchy, whatever. Uh, but you don't light, really, though, because um, you arrive at it from a yeah. different perspective. Yeah, it's like but, no choice. And now I, I just want to say this with all the love in the world. Fuck you, Alex, for making me realize that I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> I thought I had a good grasp on this shit and I was improving. And now you're here to prove me completely no, wrong. I think, but, well, JD, I think quite the opposite. I think no that way. our investigation of these well, things okay. it's is, the beginning. Yeah, it's yeah. the beginning. It, you're right. My, but it's like, it's I'm a, like, shit, whole- that independence, that is what my yeah. oldest son right now needs. And he's begging for it and me and my wife will just are too afraid to pull that trigger to let him ride his bike four blocks away to go ride bikes with another kid you know and we're just like you know like i don't james dean this new kid in the neighborhood yeah. that lives four blocks story. away his like, name is james yeah. dean. his name's james <laughs> dean his parents <laughs> like have is. a james dean sign Dude, on wait, their let, house let, let, let me tell him this story hold on Check this Your out. Son is this kid rides up on a bicycle with the hair slicked back, total rebel without a cause. Yeah. I say to him, what's his name? What's your name? He does a skit on his bike, flips his hair, looks at me and goes, my name's James Dean. <laughs> and I go, what? James Dean, like the actor? He goes, yeah, it was my aunt's idea. And then he rides off on a Papa wheelie. Yeah, he fits it perfect, man. And so he like uh, I have a pump worst nightmare. Yeah, I I told Erica, I was like, I found a kid in the neighborhood that Xander's going to want to play with. But I also think that that's the kid that's going to lead Xander to smoking cigarettes at the age of 15. (laughs) Like he's he's that kid. And like I had that friend in high school um, and, you know, it is what it is. Um, But I. I'm afraid to let him just go over there and play. James Dean's in fourth grade. Xander's in first grade. You know, we're like trying to set this up. And I'm like, Billy, Lachlan's going. And and Billy's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, do you have the walkie-talkie? I need to have communication. Instead of just being like, just go. Yeah, I was just like, just go. And we'll hope for the best. I know you know how to ride your bike really well. I've seen James Dean's ramp. It's not anything bigger than what we have at home. Go bust an air and show this kid what's what. But no, I'm like, uh, I don't, you know, me and the wife have this long conversation about. So now you're like, don't do that. Just let the kids be free. Or maybe, and I'm, I'm overstating, but it's like your ideas. I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much sense to me. The if I can get the, if there's one bit of parenting advice I could ever give yes, or please. or working with really anyone because I've I've even I've used this recently as my parents are getting elderly and they're starting to make some choices that concern me mm-hmm. about their own health and their own lives. Um, I apply the same rule to my aging parents as I do to my children, as I do to the young people that I work with. Um, and that is it's, it's uh, so there, there's uh, something called um, there, there's junk playgrounds, which is you, you give children an area and it's a space of autonomy and you give them junk. The reason why you give them junk is because junk by definition has no value to adults. Therefore children implicitly can just take it, break it, burn it, leave it out in the rain, do whatever they want with it. And they can have complete ownership over it. 
and they don't feel like they need to ask permission from adults to use it because it's junk. No, uh, this is one I, of the parks that you did in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Saw, so, for years ago, right? Where you yeah, yeah. I started it years ago. and all like me. I remember me and my wife seeing that, and I was just like, "Fuck, that's bananas!" Like, how many kids are losing fingers? There's a, there's a group in Portland. Uh, uh, I, I think it's just called like Portland Play or something. I don't think, as last I checked, they don't have a space. Uh, oh, and I should before I forget, you both need to check out Alder Commons. A L D E R Commons. C O M M O N S. Okay. It just okay. started last year, and I know I know the 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 fa- the founders uh, and some of the people working there. Um, just check it out. I okay. promise. I it's in Portland. Um, but so uh, within junk playgrounds, there are people called play workers, which is an oxymoron on purpose, play work. Um, and they are the adults who work on the spaces of junk playgrounds. And they sort of their role is to be something kind of like a lifeguard okay. where they don't they don't make judgments. They're not engaging unless they're invited to be engaging. They're just there to see if someone's drowning. If someone's drowning, then they jump in, swim and pick them up. That's sort of their role on a junk playground, right? And no adults are allowed otherwise besides these workers, right? It depends on the it depends on the junk playground. Some do, some don't. Um, and I have mixed feelings, uh, but that's a story for another day. Um, so the the advice that I'm about to give you is a is a play working concept. This isn't my I didn't come up with it. It's it's uh, sort of like one of the rules that play workers use, and I think it's the best bit of advice you could ever use when working with young people and that is there are two types of danger there are risks and there are hazards you want children to avoid hazards and you want children to take risks now climbing a tree can be dangerous when a child chooses to climb the tree and climb out on a branch it's obvious to them that they could fall down and break their neck but they've chosen to do it and to challenge themselves at doing it they're taking a risk Okay, so you should let them do that. Now, same kid, same tree, same scenario. It's raining out. It's slippery. The kid doesn't realize it's slippery. Now it's a hazard. Same exact thing, but or probably more common, the kid who's two years older than that kid, who's a really good tree climber, who's five branches up higher, and that kid wants to be like that kid, and the kid five branches higher is going, oh my God, you're such a wuss. You can't climb up here and is now feeling that peer pressure and is pushing themselves beyond their risk into a hazard level where they don't feel comfortable, but they're doing it. Now it's again, a hazard. It's so difficult to know when it's a risk and when it's a hazard. The only way you can really do it is by having a trustful relationship with that child. If the child knows that you're not going to rat on them and say, Hey, your kid stole your phone from the dresser. And you've gained the trust. Now that kid stealing the phone, maybe it's wrong. Maybe she shouldn't have done it or whatever, but she know she's not hurting herself. I know her dad's not hurt. I, in fact, I know the family so well. I know if the dad really knew about it, he would probably laugh about it. Right. But I need to work in a relationship with them where I can say, I am observing you doing these things. I'm trusting you. And now I'm going to have an open conversation with you. I know your capabilities. I know how well you can climb a tree. And I know how much you like that kid up there. And I know when you're pushing yourself to a limit, you shouldn't be. And if I say to you, listen, 
you're making me nervous. You're going up higher than I think is comfortable. We can have an active conversation where I know you're not going to hide from me the truth. You're not going to say like, oh, no, I can do it because you know that I'm not going to judge you. If you say, oh, yes, I can do it. I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to let you do it. And you're going to listen to me and say, wow, this is somebody who really trusts me. And so they're concerned for me. I'm going to listen to their concern because that's somebody who really cares about me and isn't trying to control me. And so if you just take that risk hazard thing, and I mean, you can apply that to anything. You can apply that to like, is my kid learning math? If you're, te- well, let's, let's use reading instead because reading's a little bit easier. If your nine-year-old isn't reading, are they going to be homeless and starving? Not at nine because you're taking care of them. Maybe at 18 they are. And so somewhere between nine and 18, they need to learn to read, right? So, but if, as long as you can have a conversation with them, as long as you're modeling reading for them and why it's of value and that sort of a thing, it's most likely not a hazard. It's just a risk. They're choosing not to learn to do it. That's not necessarily true. And this is where I want to get just for a brief second. It's a huge topic. And I just want to say, as I'm at least outwardly identifying that the three of us are three white men, mm-hmm. that it is a place of privilege. And I've had many conversations as the most eloquently someone said it to me, a black mother whose son was my son's age. Uh, she said to me, Alex, it's one thing for your nine-year-old white son to choose not to read. It's quite a different thing for my nine-year-old black son to be illiterate. And you see the difference in that? That kid's a thug because he's black. And my kid is just the hippie drum-beaten kid that's chosen not to do it. And and it it is not the same across and you need to be, you know, that, that needs to be taken into consideration. And sadly, that might mean that that kid can't not be reading. And there needs to be put more pressure on that kid literally for that child's own safety. Right, um, right. And that's, that's a huge topic that we can't really cover here, but I just want to, I just want to point that out. Yeah. I think that's great. You point that out, but I also think that's implicit within the basic thesis of your whole point which is that everyone's an individual we have to be open to each individual's experience and we have to be cognizant of reality and i think that's what's so brilliant about the stuff that you're saying one thing i wanted to key into and i don't mean to interrupt is you mentioned something that i found to be really vital which is modeling which is what you which is i think important too because there is the example of, hey, let your kids do. There are a lot of parents in America who let their kids do whatever they want and they're never there and they're not modeling. They're not checking in. They're not an active participant. So the parents participation is part of what you're talking about. You're not just talking about let your kids be free. You're also talking about being what what do you, what term do you use a safety net or a check in or a, a model or I don't know what term you use facilitator facilitator um, two, yeah two, okay two quick two quick things uh, one is the opposite this is uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing uh, Alfie Cohn K O H N um, who said 
the opposite of being uh, authori- authoritarian is not to be permissive. That's a false dichotomy. It's not that I'm not going to beat you, so I'm going to let you do whatever you want. Those are both actually manipulative controlling whether I lead you through fear or I give you the candy to get you to do it. I'm manipulating you. Both of those are the same side of the coin. The other side of the coin is respecting children. Uh, And so I want to point that out. And two, as far as um, modeling things, I think the most key component of this is age mixing. And that is intentionally, I work with kids of different ages. You don't want to have a five-year-old and an 18-year-old but you want to have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old or a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. And the reason why is because ultimately that 12-year-old doesn't want, I'm not cool. Maybe you two are cool. You look cooler than I do, but, uh, but, JD, um, looks but cool. JD looks cool. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, what they want to do is they want to, they're modeling from the kid who's a couple of years older than them, that's the cool person. And when that cool person who's a couple of years older is reading or is doing whatever, the younger kid is then saying, wow, look at that kid that I really like, who's an influence on me. And, and that's really the key component of doing this. And probably the most unnatural thing we do as a society is whoever segregates people, you're only going to hang out with people whose birthday is within nine months of yours. Right, right. Like, why do we do that? That, In fact, if anything deters children from being able to learn, it's that we've set them out with only kids who are of basically roughly around the same skill set as them. You want the kid who's a little bit older than them so they have to reach out and try and be like that person. You want the kid who's a little bit younger than them so that they can learn how to nurture and how to care and how to create community. The kids that I work with, like, are always walking around with like the younger kid, like the little kid in their arms. And I'm talking about like the, the boys, God forbid doing this, you know, like, Oh, and I just want to, cause I'm mindful. I, I unfortunately I only have about five yeah, minutes. I was going to say that. Yeah. I just, the one other thing I really want to point out is, so I started out with Summerhill. I started my own school and I started going into this. And the more I got into it, the more I started realizing it wasn't about education. Because then I started being like, oh, it's about parenting. Because like I'm getting the kid at five years old or seven years old or whatever, and there's already certain things. And I was like, well, it's about parenting. But then it's not just about parenting. It's also about like equity and social justice. And then it's, you know, it's about economics. And it's about, and it, and I started realizing it's about everything. And then I realized really what this is, is it's a civil rights movement. This is literally talking about, this isn't, this isn't just sending your kid to a nice school. This is about shifting the way society perceives human beings and how we belong together. So it's, a, it's about children's rights. It's about giving children choice and autonomy and, and, and using consent when you're working with them. But, but it's also about creating community together and caring. And, and ultimately, for me, it ends up being, it, it is political. It is, and I, I mean, um, as an ideology, mm-hmm. as an ideology, it's moving away from a capitalistic colonial settler standpoint, and it's moving towards something else that looks a whole lot more like the ideologies of anarchism and communism and socialism. I'm not saying that you need to be an anarchist to believe in this, but what I'm saying is that when you remove the hierarchy and you're letting everybody 
be equal to one another and you're using different systems of autonomy and mutual aid, right? The autonomy, I am independent, but if I use my independence against you, I'm taking away your independence and therefore I need to have mutual aid. We need to, if one of us has more than another, there's that inequity that's not going to work. We need to have mutual aid to care about one another just so that we can have our autonomy. All of a sudden, what we're talking about from an ideological standpoint is anarchism. Mm -hmm. uh, and it means that society is going to have to shift, that there's going to have to be a cultural difference. And it means, it, and that the impact of that is significant. Bye-bye capitalism. Yeah. yeah. No, I love what you're trying to say. And I think in many ways, I mean, to me, it's about love. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. It's about love. It's about loving and trusting yourself and other people and your child. Yeah. And when you do that, like, I mean, I can remember when I was a kid and so, and I read in a book or something, right? Like the, the greatest freedom is the scariest thing in the world. I think maybe even my brother might've told me this when he was in college and learning about Summerhill. And I think that's why he wanted to learn about that. Us coming from a very, like, my father was very Irish Catholic. Um, and, and the Irish are a great example of this because they were a very matriarchal free society before Catholicism came to Ireland and turned it very binary and the troubles and all that. I'm going down a different, my Irish citizenship route here, <laughs> but, um, everything's connected, but I do think it's about love and we got to let you go, Alex, because I love you, buddy. I haven't talked to you in a while, but I know you have another, I want to show you love by respecting the time you're giving us Yes, and you. we can end it here. We're going to, I, we got to have you back again because yeah, I feel like I, this, I this is like this such great started. stuff. I'm so dude. bummed that I missed the first time. And if minutes. you can follow this up, Alex, if you know any places in Portland that yeah. you could maybe, I mean, if you want to send me some links, cause I'm all in on this, man. And I think this is, I'll send so you a couple of links to different, to some different people, uh, who are influential in some, some resources in Portland or just, you know, resources on the web. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and how can people but, find you on the web? Yeah. How can people learn more about you? Uh, your organizations and the, things. the, 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 the project that, I'm most actively doing right now is called it's flying squads.org flying squads, plural, um, which there's, there's one in Portland. In fact, they just opened up this semester today. Nice. Uh, so the first flying squad in Portland of, uh, the 2021 school year, uh, uh, started this morning. Um, but yeah, that, that would probably be the best place to find me. And, uh, but I'll send you some other links and it's, uh, I, I, yeah, JD, I wish I got to chat with you more and, um, it's certainly nice catching up. Well, dude, yeah. this was great. Uh, Cause we let you talk. I just wanted to hear you. That's why I wanted to have you on because I think that these ideas that you're talking about, when I hear them, they resonate with me because I feel like I, I, I try to live them perhaps not in the same respect, but I try to think about these things and be present with them. And I think JD that you do too. We always well, I think are, I got a lot, lot to improve. But on. we, we want to challenge I, I, ourselves. We're open to chat yeah. to listening to this yeah. and to letting go of that fear and stuff. Right. 
But I think other people need to hear it. And the more people that can, the better. Because um, I like what you say, too. It's a civil rights movement for kids and for kids to have that self-determination. How can we... We have a country where half the country doesn't even vote for president or take part in anything. And we wonder why that is, you know, and maybe that's because people have no, they don't have self-determination, right? They wait around for people to tell them what the next thing to do is. And I am not a fan of that. And I don't think, I don't think any of us are, but thank you, Alex. I know you you got to go, brother. You're the best, best to you and your family. We will definitely speak to you soon, my friend. Yes. Great. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks so much for having me on. Take, Take care. care, buddy. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Billy, I got to pee so bad. I drank way too much uh, shake on my way home Dude, and water. We're good. Take a break. Let's take a break. And, do the intro. and then I want to talk. Yeah. Come back.